the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 97 of Magic Markets. It's that point in the month where it's just Mo and I getting to hang out and talk about the things we love in the market. So looking forward to that. And Mo, this week, I think we said that we will talk about some of the sort of common mistakes that we see people make in the market and goodness knows we've probably both been guilty of most or all of them at some point because everyone is and then you kind of hopefully learn from them and, and move forward so welcome it's always fun doing this with you and I'm quite excited about uh, this week's topic. Yeah, indeed Ghost always a pleasure doing this with you and you know I think the way I'd like to contextualize this discussion is that it's it's not as though you know we're out there with a cookie cutter approach hey this is how investments need to be done. I mean, Magic Markets has always been about the conversation. It's part of our own learning exercise. It's learning along with you, our listeners. And yes, sometimes we share our successes. Sometimes we share our failures. And I think this week's podcast is really about, you know, looking at those mistakes, maybe mistakes we've made, maybe mistakes that we observed but didn't necessarily have to make ourselves. So how I'd like to frame this discussion for our listeners as well is that as we highlight some of these mistakes, whether it's mistakes we've made or whether it's mistakes we've seen others make, it's really around just having you have your wits about you as and when these circumstances will probably approach you in your own investment journey. So yeah, Ghost, let's have some fun. I think there's a lot to unpack here. And if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right in, right? Because I, I think right at the top, what I'd like to put on the radar to almost frame the discussion is we've titled this on purpose. We said mistakes that investors make. And so that's the reason why I want to say that the very first one on my list is not knowing whether you're an investor or a trader. Now, why do I put that out there is that they both require very different mindsets. Now here on Magic Markets, we've got content, we've had guests on that subscribe to a trading mentality, a shorter term mentality in that respect. We've also had guests on that look at very much the longer term investment narrative. So figuring that out, there's no right or wrong. It's just, you know, how, what your risk tolerance is, how you can contextualize and seek to actually get the opportunities out of the market. And the reason I say they require very different mindsets is that you know, trading inherently tends to be a lot more shorter term in nature, whereas investing requires you to generally look through a cycle. And like I say, trading is about maybe getting in and getting out of a stock, going long or going short, whereas investing generally tends to have a long only bias to it. So those are some of the things I just like to put in the background because I think you know, whilst they require different mindsets, the last point is, it's not to say that you can't do both. Most people can't, but some people can do both. But what I found certainly is that 
you tend to have to do those in different portfolios just in order to stick to your discipline. I mean, I, for one, I have a trading portfolio. I have a very different set of rules and criteria in terms of what I put in there and how I execute in my trading portfolio. And then I have a long-term investing portfolio and I have a very different criteria there. And that just helps me demarcate my own emotions, my own mindset, my own methodology. But at the end of the day, you will probably default to one of those two based on your temperament, your experience, and then your own ability to control your emotions. And the tax impact too. So the other thing is, you know, if you if you mix trading and investing, you can end up with a really difficult conversation with SARS, you know, depending on the extent to which you do it. That's obviously from a South African perspective. So, you know, the basic rule from a tax perspective is if you hold the thing for three years, then it's deemed to be capital in nature and you pay CGT on any gains. If you hold it for less than that, then it's possible to get away with CGT, but you would have to then be willing and able to make the argument that you had a capital intention should you be audited, etc. So, you know, it gets, yeah, it gets pretty complicated. And I agree. I think it comes down to style. I think it comes down to how much you're willing to watch the markets, to what extent it excites you to try and look at the technicals versus trying to understand long-term business models. That trading versus fundamental argument or debate is something that really needs to happen early on in your career, I think. I guess it can change at some point, but everyone figures that out along the way. Yeah, and it's also, you know, I, I go so far as to say maybe it's a different skill set. So you can decide up front, hey, this is what I think I am. You know, a lot of people come and they say, oh, you know, I think I'm a trader. Uh, they want the excitement of the markets. And then as the markets whipsaw you around, you require that maybe trading requires a lot more focus. Maybe, you know, trading is your side gig. And that's the other thing I'm going to throw out there is that, you know, having trading as a side gig is very time intensive. Because remember, you're going up against people who do this all the time. This is what they live, eat and breathe. So really, you've got to be quite focused and if you're going to be doing something, whether it's trading or investing, you've got to put in the due diligence in order to make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into, have the discipline, and then hone your skills. Because this is that this is the process that we're talking about, is that it's about honing your skills over a period of time. And as that evolves, so too will your preference for either trading or investing. And sometimes, we've had this discussion with one of our guests on the show, sometimes you play to your strengths. And if those strengths are trading, you default towards a trading style. Uh, but sometimes, you know, the market whoops you around and you realize, well, maybe I should park some of this. Maybe I should park the trading and maybe focus a little bit more on honing my investment skills. So it's a question of either playing to your strengths or building a well-diversified skill set. And, and in fact, you know, I'm going to jump in again with a second point, if, if I may, because we're talking about diversification. We've, we've talked about diversifying skill sets, but I'm going to take another macro point here because, again, I think my, my outlook on things generally originates from the macro and then comes down towards the micro. And so I'm going to take that diversification point and say the next mistake that people make, investors make specifically, is not diversifying. And here specifically, I'm going to talk about asset classes because a lot of people, as soon as they think investment, they think equities. That's the default position. Uh, and perhaps it's just because of how the social narrative goes, how the media has orientated investment. But I come from a background where I've had exposure to multiple asset classes. On this very show, we've discussed multiple asset classes. So I think there's a space in a portfolio. If you are really a long-term investor, there's a space in your portfolio for equities. There's a space in your portfolio for bonds or fixed income type instruments. There's probably also a space for alternatives, fixed assets, unlisted investments. So you really need to contextualize all of that because at the end of the day, if you're looking at this with a long-term lens through the cycle, diversification helps you with going through the cycle. It helps you on a five to 10 year time horizon 
And that's really what investment is about, rather than focusing on the next quarter, for example, or just maybe this week's results, right? And alternatives is something we've learned a lot about this Yon Magic Markets with the team from Westbrook. And it's been super interesting because as the name suggests, it really is alternative. It can range from private equity, which a lot of people understand, through to, I think, mobile homes in, in US was probably the most exotic thing we looked at. Incredibly interesting. So yeah, diversification is your friend. I certainly also prefer a portfolio where no individual position is too big. You know, those highly concentrated portfolios, it's something I write about often. I would struggle to sleep at night with that because if you're right, it's great. But if you're wrong, you know, you can really lose a lot of money, a big percentage of your portfolio. And for me personally, I just think there's too much randomness in what can happen in the world. You know, you can have the best investment thesis about a company, but if something goes wrong that couldn't have been foreseen or you missed something, I'd rather it goes wrong with 2% of my money than 20%. Yeah, I think that's fair. So Ghost, I mean, I, I've mentioned the need for diversification. I've mentioned the need, for example, in terms of asset class diversification. So it's not even just the concentration of position sizes. It's a, it's a diversification in terms of the types of payoff profiles that investors effectively layer into their portfolio. You know, you've got to think of this as, as, as making a really awesome cake, for example. And I, I, the food reference might be lost on some people. But at the end of the day, investment is really around, you know, building that cake, layering what pay of profiles you'd like to have. And, you know, I've got a question for you because offline we were discussing something around, you know, again, from a bottoms up focus. Something I've looked at is if I'm not looking at bonds, a lot of people tend to use high dividend yielding stocks as a bond proxy. I've done a lot of that in the real estate space, for example. Now, it does come with certain, you know, sensitivities that might be different. But what about your view in terms of how investors should contextualize investing in dividend stocks, for example? So dividend stocks are interesting, and especially if you are an income-focused investor, and it depends where you invest in the world. You know, in South Africa, you'll find some of the blue chips are paying dividend yields of up to like 3%, for example. The companies in the US that we look at on Magic Markets Premium are typically between 1% and 2%. becomes quite an interesting valuation tool to actually see what the implied current dividend yield is. But one of the mistakes is to look at last year's dividend and not take into account what could happen to next year's dividend. You know, dividends can go down. So in the US, there's this concept of the dividend aristocrats and their dividends just go up basically every single year. And they are very proud of the status. But, you know, we've done a few of them now on Magic Markets Premium. And the more we look at them, the more I think to myself, this dividend aristocrat status may actually be a big red herring because all that happens is they pay a relatively small cash dividend and then their share buybacks vary drastically year on year because that kind of bull absorbs the flex in earnings. So if you have a small cash dividend, at, you know, in other words, a low payout ratio, it's relatively easy to maintain that. It doesn't necessarily tell you anything about how dependable the stock is because the share price can move like crazy while it's busy paying you this modest dividend. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a smooth path. And the other thing with dividend aristocrat status is because the companies really don't want to lose that status, we've seen examples where they will borrow money to pay dividends. They don't bluntly say it, but if you look at the cash flow statement, you can see that there's a net cash outflow in that specific quarter or that period, and yet they paid their dividend to maintain that status, and they've done it with short-term borrowings. And I'm not sure that that is exactly the behavior we really want to be encouraging. Yeah, it's so fascinating, right? I mean, we, we've, as you've indicated in Magic Markets Premium, we've, we've highlighted a lot of those stocks. Some of them fall in dividend aristocrats. It actually, when you look down into the financials, that's when you unpack some of these elements. For example, using the share repurchases as the flex in order to maintain, I guess, this, this, this dividend payout ratio or a, a fairly flat dividend. The other thing to, to note 
here is that sometimes a lot of these companies have founders that are still involved or maybe a family that's still involved. And remember, this is a very substantial portion of their net worth. So sometimes that's, there's that pressure that comes in as well to say, we've got to maintain this cash flow that goes through to the founding family in the way of dividends. And then effectively, you know, the share repurchases bounce around around that. So to your point around this being a big red herring, I think we've seen that in a couple of other sectors of the market right now. I mean, we've discussed ESG and how that can be good but how it can also be a lot of greenwashing, for example, just in order to try and convince investors that, hey, you're doing the right thing. So you get this just depending on what's the latest label that institutional firms want to slap on a product in order to sell that to retail investors. You've got to be sensitive to some of those behind the scenes dynamics. And Mo, linked to that financial analysis around dividends, you need to understand the strategy of the company. There are far too many people out there in the market who are just looking at the techs and just looking at the fundamental numbers, but they're not understanding what the company really does, and especially not what the bull and bear thesis looks like. And, and that's something we do in premium, you know, as we go through the bull box and the bear box, and it's super important. It forces you to think what could go well, what could go wrong. None of these companies have a guaranteed outcome you know if there were any guaranteed outcomes then there would be no risk and there would be no reward it would be the risk-free rate that's why it's called that equities pay you more than that because you're taking a risk and that risk comes in because you are busy figuring out for yourself what your view is on whether you are bullish or bearish on the stock and someone else in the market is almost guaranteed to have a different view which is what makes a market that's why you're a buyer at 10 bucks a share and there's a seller at 10 bucks a share who feels differently about the prospects of that company so looking at the strategy is really important, not just the short-term strategy, you know, what's going to happen over the next few months in terms of near-term profitability issues or maybe major acquisitions they're busy with or other trends in the markets. I mean, one thing the pandemic certainly did was it squashed entire cycles into a much shorter space of time. So the concept of long-term starts to look a bit different in that, in, you know, in that context, but obviously it would normally mean multi-year. And there the strategy becomes important, especially for investing, because it's going to drive the numbers. The numbers are just the byproduct of the strategy. So if you don't understand the strategy, you may as well not even look at the numbers. They're not going to make sense and you're not going to be able to properly assess them. Yeah, I think that's actually such a great comment, Ghost, is that that's, that's a critical mistake a lot of investors make, is that they're not looking at the strategy. They're looking at price action on a screen. And again, that goes to my initial point of determine whether you're a trader or an investor. So if, we, if you're an investor... The strategy is very important because the lens you're applying is a multi-year lens. You know, I, I, I want to tie this into another point or another mistake that I think investors make, which is I think investors panic. You know, they panic when they actually see the volatility in the markets. And it ties to your point around strategy in that if you're an investor, this is all about the long game. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. You've got to focus on the long game. And I always like to contextualize this and say, Think about this as though you're investing for your kids or your grandkids, okay? It's not to fund your next YOLO purchase. You know, if you want to go and buy a holiday home, if you want to go buy a nice fancy car or a holiday, for example, that typically is not something that falls within, I guess, the time frame that I would assign to being a long-term investor, which is typically, like you said, three to five years. I would say it's almost beyond that. I mean, you mentioned capital gains tax or CGT at a three-year point and above, uh, I remember a time when in South Africa, that was five years. So they actually shortened that. But for me, investment needs to be contextualized as, you know, what are you doing for the next generation and maybe even the generation beyond that? And that requires a significant sacrifice in terms of immediate, uh, immediate YOLO self-gratification kind of mindset towards one of saying, okay, 
I can give this investment in a company the time to play out. I can give the strategy, I buy management story, I can give that time to play out and see how this goes over the course of the next several years. And that's very difficult in the context of, I guess, the world we're sitting in right now, where investors are literally checking their portfolios every five minutes. And I'm going to throw that in as a sneaky one as well, saying that's a big mistake is you're panicking and you're probably panicking because you're checking your portfolio every five minutes. I would say it's probably too often, even if you're checking it every single day. You know, I used to do this. I used to, again, in my high frequency, in my trading portfolio, you've got to be there. You're there all the time. But for my investment portfolio, sometimes I will go for an entire week, if not longer, without checking a particular position. And the reason is that I've put it in to realize returns and results over an extended period of time. I'm not expecting to see that in a week. I'm probably not even expecting to see that in a month. If I get it, well and good. But I think with the accessibility of technology right now, the ability to check your portfolio every five minutes is probably driving the wrong kind of mindset, the wrong kind of behavior. Yeah, I would agree with that, Moan. Another point I just want to make around investing, you know, especially when you're looking multi-year, people make the mistake of assuming that certain industries are guaranteed to do well through the cycle. So they look at schools, they look at hospitals, they look at grocery stores. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs the hospital at some point. You know, you need medical care. Everyone needs, you know, to go to school. And that's all true. But the reality is you cannot view that stuff in isolation from its valuation. There are multiple examples on the JSC of blue chip companies you use every day. And then you go and look over five years, you've lost half your money. And you just think, how? How did this possibly happen? I'm investing in something that everyone needs. Yes, but if you invested in it when the valuation was twice as high as it should be, the company doesn't grow into that valuation in time. And even if the underlying business is doing well, the valuation multiples unwind and the share price does ugly things to you. So investing is not about opening a portfolio account and going and picking the brands you know. I always say investing is not the lurries. You're not going and picking the brands you know and love in isolation. It's a good place to start your research because you understand what they do. But that doesn't mean that you should go and pile your money into them without going and looking at the valuation, thinking about market timing, thinking about some of the technical stuff, which is more of a tactical entry point, Mo. I mean, we see companies where the full range of support and resistance plays out every kind of four months. So speaking of patience, you know, if you watch your portfolio every day, you'll drive yourself nuts. But if you have a clear view on those support and resistance lines and you're going to trade between them, you need to be, sometimes it takes three months for that trade to work, but that trade will make you 12%. And on an annualized basis, that's great. Yeah, in fact, a great example of that is, is FedEx, right, Ghost? I think it's a stock we covered in Magic Markets Premium back in January. And on the technical basis, it gave us some phenomenal, phenomenal signals to say, great, the stock's heading lower. So if you're a trader in that respect, for example, you'd want to trade that. But bearing in mind, even with a trading mindset or an investing mindset, sometimes the thesis takes time to play out. And on that particular example, it took nine months, but eventually we got to the level that we thought we would get to as we played through the various support and resistance levels. So you know, I think looking at the text, for example, that's a point that you've, you've brought up as, as, as one of the, the key points. Investors have to really look at that, even if you've got a long-term mindset, is that they might identify areas of consolidation. They might identify opportunities tactically for you to get involved, even on your long-term investment thesis. But the important thing to note as well is, is just a discipline around that. So even if you're an investor, even if you're a trader, realize that you're going to be looking at these technical levels in terms of framing where and how you get involved. There's, there's the idea, the investment thesis, and then there's the practical implementation of that idea. And that's where those two worlds kind of merge.
So Mo, we've covered some really great points here, some awesome things to learn from. You know, how do we sort of wrap it up and bring it all together? How do people understand more about the markets and get up the curve with this stuff? Because the textbooks are very thick and they vary drastically. And let's be honest, no one has time to go and read thousands of pages. You know, we obviously impart a lot of the knowledge in what we do. But how do you kind of bring that all together? Ghost, I mean, that's really the synthesis of what we're doing in Magic Markets and then also in Magic Markets Premium. So again, a shameless plug there. But, you know, we're bringing together not just the textbook knowledge we've both kind of studied in finance and I'm a CFA charter holder. We're bringing that. We're superimposing on that, you know, experience. We've both been through markets, been through market cycles, been involved in different asset classes. So we're synthesizing that in terms of what I would like to say, bringing this entire discussion together, we've unpacked some of the points from a macro, from a psychological, how do you frame your thinking perspective. We've discussed some of the bottoms up stuff as well. So for example, not assuming that every industry is a good investment. It's about the price that you pay. We've discussed stuff about looking at the capital structure and not just a dividend yield or a PE ratio. Those are the kinds of insights that we want to unpack for investors. And it leads to my last point in terms of mistakes investors make is that they're not flexible. They're not necessarily open to new ideas. And you really have to be open to the new ideas, to information flow coming through. Because in this world, in investing, there's consistently a barrage of new information. I mean, we have quarterly reporting seasons in the US. That's your update on how are we relative to the long-term strategy? Are we deviating off course? Is management's eye still on the ball? And being open and receptive to all of these new ideas, to the price action that's happening on the screen, that's really where all of this comes together in terms of framing your investment journey, being aware of the types of mistakes you could make, whether those are execution mistakes or whether those are psychological, behavioral mistakes. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to bring into Magic Markets Premium. So for those of you that aren't subscribers of Magic Markets Premium, again, we strongly believe that at 99 Rand a month, that's going to be probably one of the best investments you can make into your investment education. We're not there telling you, hey, this stock is a great stock to buy or this stock is a great stock to sell. We're quite often looking at stocks without a preconceived notion of whether we would buy or sell a stock. And then we take you through our journey on how we researched it, what our findings were, and at the end of the day, we are also accessible to our subscribers as part of a community to bounce those ideas back and forth as we learn. And that's the flexibility, the openness to new ideas and information flow. Uh, Ghost, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, that's that's where I think, you know, our subscribers, our listeners can really get the full value out of a discussion like this, as well as growing in their own investment journeys. Yeah, absolutely. That's what Magic Markets is about. So we would certainly invite those who haven't tried out premiums, go and check it out. It's very, very different to the free show. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's just more of the same. It's really not. Go give it a bash. Um, I think we're going to get a bit better soon at also showing you what's inside premiums. So that's something you can look forward to seeing from us. And my next week, we'll be welcoming back the team from Westbrooks to come and chat to us about what they've been doing. So that's certainly going to be exciting. We've had them on several times to learn about alternative assets. So to our listeners, join us again next week for that discussion. Go through, check out Premium, chat to us on Twitter, do what you do, and good luck in the markets this week. You can find us on Twitter at Mohammed Nala and at Finance Coast. And of course, the website, www.magic-markets.com. Until next week, same time, same place. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.